Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Tim Burrows. Joining me to break down your week in media and marketing is Mumbrella's editor Vivian Kelly. Hello. Senior media reporter Hannah Blackiston. Hello. And our media reporter Brittany Rigby. Hello. Plus, coming up later, Viv will be talking to Ten's latest bachelorette, Angie Kent. But first, the week's topics. All the takeouts from Ten's 2020 upfronts. Bachelorette, Love Island and Bride and Prejudice. How are the latest reality offerings rated? Big marketer moves. And the week in stupid journalism. So, Network 10 revealed its plans for 2020 on Thursday as yearly upfronts event, or I suppose... Hannah, it's better maybe to say events because they, they did it in a couple of tranches in Sydney on Thursday, uh, included the three new hosts for MasterChef. Before we get into it, why is it that events... Now, you and I, we didn't arrive there at quite the same time, although we both did end up sitting in, happened to sit in the front row. Why is it that events at the ICC, the International Convention Centre, is such a baffling ordeal just getting to the right floor? I arrived in a bad temper. Literally, <laughs> I would... I, I got to the front doors in a good mood, and by the time I was finally giving my name to a very polite person with an iPad, I was in a bad mood. I, that happens every time. I didn't even give my name to somebody. That's how wrong I did it. I ended up entering through a curtain um, <laughs> because I just couldn't find it. And, and then did you I find just... yourself on stage at that point? <laughs> and then I was Osher was... Ginsberg. It was weird. <laughs> was, um, was anyone trying to put a, a head on for a masked singer? I was the masked singer. Um, yeah, it is. I think the problem with the ICC at the moment is that entire massive building is called the ICC. None of us know the names of anything inside it. So they can tell you, you know, Darling Theatre or whatever they want to tell you all they want. It doesn't mean you know Go where you're level going. Two, but it might not be the right no. level two. <laughs> I literally I went up and down the same set of escalators three times where people... One person told me, oh, from here you need to go and do an L shape. And then the next person told me you need to go and do a U shape. And I would contend that one of them was wrong. Why maybe, are we giving directions in shapes? Maybe you were accidentally same. spelling something out. Like, did you compile all the letters and it was actually insulting well, you? There was some, behind you. There was some big top security Navy thing going on. So I think there was Hannah more security. Ended up there. I got so some maybe ends. semaphore, perhaps that was going on. Hannah ended up at that event. I got some text about how she'd gotten lost with sailors. And yeah, it was hard to tell if I was lost or if it was a choice, but I was definitely with the sailors. Or just a regular Saturday night, <laughs> who's to tell? But anyway, there was some substance as well. Now, before we get into the detail of the substance, a great opening. Now, let's, let's break the fourth wall slightly and reveal that we're recording this um, late on Thursday morning. So Hannah and I have seen the upfronts and... Vivian is about to rush off and see the upfronts. Are you going as well, Brittany? I am. You are too. So both Vivian and Brittany. So I'm afraid we're going to have to do. A sp- what, do, you, do you want to rush out of the room for a minute? So we. I've gotten a few spoilers. Spoil so I'm okay. You. I'm alright. Sure. Yeah. What about you, Viv? Uh, well, look, I'll stay, but I reserve the right to get really salty. If, <laughs> right. if I, I would be salty if okay. I feel like you've let me down by. Yeah. filling me in on this yeah okay so do you want to talk talk through how they opened it Hannah? i would um yeah so osher ginsburg was hosting it um and he threw to a clip done in the style of carpool karaoke with uh 10's head of sales rod process sitting in the driver's seat 
And then James Corden got into the car with him and they did an entire carpool karaoke session where they sang together. And it was, it was really fun. Actually, there was definitely a difference in energy between James and Rod. But other than that, (laughs) it was really fun. And I thought it was a great way to open it. Do you mean that James was the sad one or the upbeat one? Oh no, (laughs) neither of them was sad, but obviously James was bringing his musical theater energy and Rod was bringing his slightly overwhelmed energy. And and Rod was having to be the kind of foil where he talked he droned on a bit about programmatic until James fell asleep and all of that sort of thing. But, uh, but you know, they drove around and around down the window and, you know, each sort of shout out at the window, hey, I've got Rob Prosser in the car with me to <laughs> random members of the public. So, so they, you know, it's a bit of a tradition with the upfronts that all the networks do a sort of funny bit at the start. You know, you had kind of Carl and Pete... Uh, Stef- Stefanovic, 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 you're in Australia. I always struggle. Please, <laughs> um, sort of last year having their awkward phone calls and so on, poking fun. But that was what I set quite a high bar, I think, for upfront season. My hasn't main it? issue with that was though, it then ended with, oh, James Corden is coming to Australia in 2021. It's yes. like, oh. Cool. He's not coming to 10. He's yeah. just coming to Australia in two years' time. What a tease. That felt a bit odd. Yeah. It was but, more because I think it was a nod towards they're getting closer and closer to yeah, CBS. Yeah, it's yeah. obviously sort of CBS talent. But, uh, and also the other, hey, this is a bit inside baseball, but the other thing I noticed was when Rod was chatting to James and he was sort of saying, so tell us, he was saying, you know, you'll find out tonight. Yeah. Which suggests that Ten's decision to do upfronts as a morning thing was, was, was potentially quite late in the day because when they recorded it, obviously they were thinking of an evening thing like sevens and nines are. Mm. Yeah, but it definitely, it set the mood for everything, which was fun. It was. Um, well, let's talk about the everything. Yeah. Where should we begin? Let's begin on the programming slate. So I, obviously the big announcement, and they did tease this one pretty heavily, was the new MasterChef hosts after George, Matt and Gary famously left last, this year. Um, so new hosts... Melissa Leong, Andy Allen, and Jock Zonfrilio. John Zonfrilo. Um, Jock has been a bit of a MasterChef mainstay. He's been on quite a few seasons. Andy won a season. And Melissa Leong is a food writer. And I believe she's had a TV show on SBS as well. Uh, maybe a bit of a letdown, possibly. Yeah, look, I, we were speculating in the office beforehand. And we were saying, could it be Curtis Stone? Could it be Julie Goodwin? Could it be former winner Poe or former winner She didn't Ad- quite win, Ad- I don't Adam. think, Poe, but she's done oh, very yeah, well. Oh, she was the runner-up to Adam. She's done she? very I well. I think she was the runner-up to Julie. Right, are they different years? Maybe Adam I think was they were the two. same. Yeah, Julie and Poe were the same year. Oh, we're yeah. going to get emails from MasterChef yes. superfans, yeah. much like we got emails when we got ICT yeah. wrong. Well, when they are, and uh, and thank you for correcting us on that, <laughs> our, our ICT superfan, you know who you are. Um, yeah, I... Um, um, and just before they made the announcement, they sort of played, you know, greatest greatest hits clips, which included Julie, included Poe, included Adam. I was thinking, wow, they have, they've got them. This is going to be great. And then the three walked on the stage. So Viv and Britt, I, I suppose what did strike me was there's not going to be an argument that the presenters are bigger than the brand. Well, I feel like they've done this deliberately in that, those original three presenters, Matt Preston, Gary Megan and George Columbaris, they became quite big and they became stars in their own right and they could, 
it could be argued that they almost overwhelmed the show with their personalities and with their camaraderie and it became probably too much about them. So I feel like Ten is deliberately trying to say this isn't about the big names, this isn't about the egos and the personalities and the demands of the judges, this is about the real-life cooks, this is about the cooking, this is about the food, this is about the passion. The brand integration. Yeah, yes, and, and this is about Coles. So I feel like they've done that deliberately. People who are qualified but not necessarily huge household names so that they can bring it back to being about the, the contestants and the winners. Yeah, I was definitely expecting bigger names. Hannah messaged us when they walked on stage and gave us their names and I was like, oh, three randoms I've never heard of. Um, and I think because there was so much speculation beforehand, I, I had my expectations set. But, you know, I'm not a, a hugely against it. I don't have strong thoughts either way. But I, I get what Viv's saying that maybe it was the right move and rather than having to almost follow up with the Gary – George and Matt thing with then having really difficult negotiations with super high profile people, um, just get people in who can sort of bring it back to basics. And Hannah, quite nice it wasn't this time three white middle-aged blokes again. Yeah, but they kind of did a bit of a teaser trailer where they showed hands beforehand and I was like, I (laughs) saw one white hand and I was like, oh my God, here we go. Um, I think it's interesting to note as well, the season next year will be uh, almost an all-stars season. They're calling it MasterChef Australia Back to Win, um, which will feature the best of the best from the past 11 seasons. And I think that kind of lines up with what Tem was saying, that it's going to be all new hosts, all new MasterChef. Maybe we will see Adam and so, Julie and Poe after Just so everyone knows, I did also just look it up. Julie won season one, Poe came second, and Adam won season two. Oh. Mm, not the same season. I, I, I'm very, very clear that he did win one because I once mm. sat opposite him at a some industry event and he was lovely but he did use the phrase as a former winner of MasterChef (laughs) quite a lot (laughs) just to go back to that uh point about there not being three white middle-aged men as judges I do wish that they could have done the diversity without having to explain to people that they've done the diversity one thing that sort of you can you can tell that Melissa has an ethnic background based on her photo. You know, it doesn't take a genius to join those dots, but they really spell it out in the press release. And while they're listing everybody's sort of credentials, they talk about the fact that she's from Singapore. And I just felt like, did we need that spelled out? Like, Do they do the same for the others? No. Or? And it's like, mm. are you deliberately doing that to say, hey, look, we've ticked the box? Because, look, she's obviously qualified. I'm not saying she's a tokenistic appointment who doesn't deserve it. But why did they feel the need to so explicitly spell that out? I would say that's interesting as well, given Jock has a very strong accent. So to specify where Melissa came from, who, you know, you can tell by looking at her is not a white middle-aged man, <laughs> but not to specify where Jock, who has a very strong Scottish accent came from, is the, a bit the, of an interesting choice. The clue is choice. in the name as well, isn't it? <laughs> um, I think the only other thing, the only other announcement that kind of it didn't shock me, but the only other announcement that was vaguely interesting is next year, two seasons of Survivor. Mm. So at the end of this year's season, they did tease an all-stars season, which is coming in February, I believe. And having gone so well, I, I, I fell behind on this year's season, so I decided I was going to do it on 10 all, all access, 10 access, 10 all access, to CBS all access, whatever it's called anyway. 
Um, and I've managed up until now to avoid spoilers. So oh. my, my heart broke a little bit as yeah. I sat through the upfronts. Really, though, Tim, you've had time to watch it now. So this is, and this you're is admitting you haven't is... read any of the stories on our site that have mentioned it. Honestly, I've, I've managed to tune away. Like I'd, I'd absorbed by sort of osmosis that somebody had had a Kickstarter and all, and that there was an amazing blind side, but I'd managed to avoid the detail of it. So, so yeah, this is just my personal tragedy. That's <laughs> and Hannah. Ten announced just before the upfronts that Trial by Kyle featuring Kyle Sanderlands was finally going to air on the 24th of October. So that was something that was commissioned on the back of Pilot Week 2018. Have they – I got a bit confused by the many, many announcements that they've sent through over the past few days. Is Trial by Kyle coming back in 2020 as well before 2019 has even aired? So there's a couple of issues here. Um, firstly, yes, you are right. Trial by Kyle has not yet aired. There was, it was confusing because things like Drunk History got picked up, which aired in 2018, but then didn't get picked up. So there was a bunch of confusion in there. But Trial by Kyle appears to be coming back in 2020. It's been listed on the slate, but also on the slate is The Amazing Race Australia, which also hasn't aired yet this year. That's not coming for a couple of weeks, months, I believe. And it, so, it wasn't completely clear whether they're just putting it on the big calendar that sort of was behind Bev McGarvey, the head of programming, sort of, you know, and they they, they had it against a month for next year, but it wasn't really clear whether they've actually commissioned it or whether that remains an aspiration rather than a commitment until they know how the first season actually goes when it writes. And I did mention it, so in an initial uh, press release sent by 10, they had said they were commissioning it for a second season without airing the first. And I did mention that to Bev and she did tell me that was incorrect. So I'm not really sure what the story is there, but it does seem like there's a couple of things that maybe won't actually uh, exist in 2020. And what about Pilot Week from 2019? Uh, I feel like I'm ruining the whole event that we're about to go to, Brittany. But <laughs> I don't remember you've already been to it. <laughs> Um, well, by the time, oh, it's like time travel. By the time mm. people listen to this, I will have been. But the- and you will have discovered that they didn't make any <laughs> announcements about anything from Pilot Week. Oh, okay. So when will we find out the successful programs from 2019's Pilot Week? According to the press release from 10, they will be coming up in the next couple of weeks. The only Pilot Week shows that got any airtime was Kinney Tonight, which is coming back for another season. I believe that will be its second. Uh, but supposedly a second season try by Kyle. Uh, no words on all the others. Taboo also had dropped off the list that obviously aired this year, but maybe won't be airing next year. And that was kind of it. So yeah, it was a bit. Not quiet a mention of I, Ro- I am Roxy didn't didn't get any airtime. No, at all. so in a couple of weeks they reckon they're going to tell us about that. Hmm. Feels like this was the event to do it, but sure. No. <laughs> um, and then I suppose the other thing beyond programming we should talk about is the technology side of things. Yeah, so on the technology side of things, uh, a whole bunch of data um, partnerships, which are kind of going to move towards 10, has been relaunching 10 Play, uh, I 10 believe. 10 by. No, by 10. No, so they re- but they also relaunched 10 Play this year. I believe the web platform has been relaunched. The app relaunch is coming shortly. That's all part of this new addressable thing that they're launching with all these data partnerships. They're also relaunching by 10, so many launches, uh, which is 
going to dynamic. That's that's the dynamic thing. So they're going to um, offer a lot more in dynamic advertising with that. Which effectively means you can book a lot closer to the time and not have to be on the phone to humans to do so. And um, further on that, they're also launching Buy 10U, which seems to be a little bit of a copy of something Nine did this year, which will allow um, SMEs, small to medium businesses to purchase directly through the app or that through was the platform. Nine, I want to say Nine Voyager. Is that right? Yes. Nine uh, Galaxy or Nine Voyager? I get confused one, between the Galaxy <laughs> yeah. and the Voyage. But. I, I, I know that one is the front door into the other. I'm sure Nine will let us know once yes. they hear this. Yes, big fans of the, <laughs> of the podcast. podcast. The other announcement was a partnership with UI, which is a software tool that their 10Play app is being built on, and that's going to allow them a whole bunch of new ad models, like little things that will pop up while you're watching stuff on the app. Next. The Holy Trinity, The Bachelorette, Love Island, and Bride and Prejudice. They're all back. So what do the viewers think? So The Bachelorette returned to 10 this week with Gogglebox star Angie Kent in the driver's seat and a 14% jump on last year's season opening. It drew 716,000 Metro viewers and topped all of the key advertising demographics, the 1639s, the 1849s, the 2554s. Um, we also had Love Island returning, premiering to just under half a million, but then falling away by the second and third episodes. Now... Hannah, just harking back to the upfronts for a moment. So the ratings actually came through while Bev McGarvey was on stage. Um, so she broke into her prezzo to share the number for The Bachelorette. Now, I thought that 10 didn't talk about overnight ratings anymore. I think you'll find that Bev did not talk about overnight ratings. She didn't actually give the figure. She did say that it had won its time slot, which there's question as to whether it did actually do that. She also said it was 14% up on last year, and she said it had won all the key advertising demographics, but she didn't give that overnight number. That feels like they were talking about the overnight result, though. It does, yes. <laughs> it's because it tops the demographics in the preliminary overnight numbers, yes. and it's up 14% on last year's preliminary overnight numbers. So whilst they didn't drop that 716 figure, they are still relying on that statistic to spruik its success. Still, they did stick to it for two or three months. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure that you could argue that they are returning to the overnight numbers because I think a lot of the rest of their prezzo was based on the fact that they're still talking about, you know, their sticky content and their water cooler content and the fact that they're – they, were, they did an entire big thing about everybody needs to stop buying on total people and start buying on the demographics and that kind of fell in with the 10 play stuff as well. So I think they are still kind of sticking to it. But what I would have really loved to have seen is if The Bachelorette, say, delivered 2 million viewers overnight, guarantee you Bev McGarvey would have been up on that stage spruiking that. And obviously, you know, this is this is an unlikely question that I can answer, but did anyone see the show? Yes. yes. <laughs> What, what a, a surprise. What a stitch up. <laughs> so uh, what was the verdict? Um, what did you feel about the tone of it? The tone of The Bachelorette. Uh, look, the, the great thing about Angie, who I'll be speaking to later on in the podcast, is that she's very media savvy by now. So she rose to prominence by being on Gogglebox, which is a bit of a joint venture between Foxtel's Lifestyle and 10, which shows her reacting to watching television. And over that time, they all became very media savvy and very aware of what types of reactions would get on air and what types of things would resonate with viewers. 
she became quite popular and was then on Tem's other reality franchise, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. So she's launching somewhat of a media career. You know, her fellow ex-goggle boxer Evie Jones stood in for Fifi Box on the Fifi Fev and Byron show down on Fox FM in Melbourne when she was on maternity leave. And Evie's now on Studio 10 quite a lot. So they're doing that classic thing of leveraging reality shows into bigger and better media careers. So she's very entertaining because she knows what makes good television and she's intelligent as well. So, uh, I mean, the men, to be honest, were a bit of a bit of a trash fire, but it was, um, it was entertaining watching, seeing her navigate through that disaster from the other side. Yeah, I really like her. Hated most of the men. <laughs> um, Which is a good moment to mention one of our, our search hits this yeah, week. Yeah, look, I was, I was trying to avoid that. But uh, look, we obviously watch, as a digital publisher, we watch our analytics very closely, what stories are resonating with our readers and, and how people are finding our content and what they do after they click on it. And one of the search terms on uh, Wednesday was Mumbrella run by man haters. <laughs> So to that person who landed on our site via that search term, I, I love welcome. That, I, I love that Brittany is now giving you content about how much she hated men. To last be honest, night. Hannah put that search term into Google though, and it brought up some great stories. So <laughs> maybe they just know, you know, where the good stuff is. Well, you um, know, we're always happy to optimize for SEO. <laughs> yeah. No, I really liked it. Um, I think there are definitely some of the men cast to be villains. There are definitely some men cast to be like the funny commentary guys who like won't last till the end, but are good for, you know, the pieces to camera. So I said to Hannah at the end of the episode that I thought it was great for a first episode, particularly um, compared to other seasons. Um, We also watched the Punky recap this morning and thoroughly enjoyed that. So I think there'll be plenty of good recap potential, but also plenty of oh, my God, this guy is cancelled and he is the worst moments. <laughs> <laughs> and we should talk about a few other shows this week. Um, Bride and Prejudice. Look, that's Seven's latest uh, reality offering and even Seven concedes it's not performing to expectation. It's this not- is like grumpy mums don't want their kids to get married. <laughs> Yes. Based on a trailer I saw. Yes. So it's, it's you know, family conflicts and ethnic conflicts and all sorts of things that are preventing people who allegedly love each other lots and lots and their families don't want them to be together. So It's Romeo and Juliet is what you're saying, Viv. That's yes, what I'm getting. With, with slightly that, that less classic death. classic storytelling. <laughs> slightly less death. Uh, so, look, it's down to just 397,000 Metro viewers. Speaking of death. Um, so it's not doing well. And that's where the really big lead in from seven news, which often tops the night and sevens home and away is a really consistent performer at 7 PM. So they've got their earlier evening programming, right. And it could be feeding into a huge audience, but people obviously watch the news. A lot of them stick around for home and away, and then they're switching either to the block or to the bachelorette or to something else. They're just not sticking around for Bride and Prejudice. That's for sure. What about Real Dirty Dancing? So that concluded this week, I believe. Yeah, so I only had two episodes. Um, it was 580,000 um, for its first episode, and I believe it hit around that 500 mark again for the second. It, am, am I right in saying this was originally people thought it was going to be a longer series and think, it was so terrible they cut it down to two episodes? Is so, that right? Or? <laughs> I don't know whether it's related to it being super terrible, but there was a lot of commentary that the whole thing had been booked to be a really big kind of Dancing with the Stars style format. Um, and then 
Seven have had a little bit of an issue this year launching stuff. Um, Super Switch obviously did really badly. Proposal also did quite badly. Um, so I think maybe in light of that, they thought, let's do, especially because the real Full Monty, which also happened this year, did really well. So I think maybe they thought, okay, event TV is what we want. So let's create just two big episodes, run them together. They didn't do awfully. They didn't obviously didn't do very well, but they didn't do terribly. Um, but I did try to sit through it and, it was just a little bit so kind of self-referential and a bit cringe, I thought. But I could see what they were trying to do with it. And maybe um, if you were a bit more passionate about the people involved or the movie itself, perhaps maybe you would have enjoyed it more. Next, new marketing bosses at Uber and Seven. So lots of movement with marketing this week. Let's start with Uber, new marketing boss with uh, Google's Lucinda Barlow, quite a well-known person in this parish, moving across to join Uber, the rideshare business. She'll lead the APAC marketing team, replacing Steve Brennan, who's leaving the business. Um, It feels like it's been rattling around forever that Steve was moving on from Uber. There's been this persistent rumour, although previously denied, that he was he was moving on. Yeah, so I heard about Steve Brennan leaving Uber Oh, at least in June, possibly before. Uh, and May, I remember. Yeah. I remember hearing a rumour back in May. And asked him, I'd heard all sorts of things, one of which was that he was moving overseas. Uh, checked in with Steve. He got back to me and said he absolutely wasn't leaving. He had no plans to move overseas. And we were communicating via his Uber email account and he, he came to the Mumbrella Awards. So the signs were that that rumour was incorrect. Uh, but now, uh, for whatever reason, whether it was correct all along or whether it just happens to be correct now, Steve is definitely departing And do Uber. we know what he's doing next? Look, I have heard a rumour, but I'm not going to actually reveal it on the Mumbrella cast because I haven't uh, sort of substantiated it yet and, and don't have the story. Uh, but I do believe he has his next gig lined up and Uber did say he was leaving to pursue other opportunities. Let's just talk a, uh, a bit about um, Lucinda, long time at Google. Yeah, so she was their global marketing lead for YouTube. So she's obviously got quite a good uh, tech and, and media marketing background. So I think that that will serve Uber quite well. It's interesting as well that there was quite a lot of confusion when I was doing this Uber story a bit too many chefs in the kitchen in that they have a PR agency and then they have a comms person as well and was trying to get clarification around what Lucinda's appointment meant for Steve and how it all lined up. And I was originally sent a quote about Steve's departure that said that he'd done a really fantastic job stabilising Uber in ANZ. And then I was asked if I could tweak the quote and the line about stabilising Uber in ANZ was gone. Now, I'm sure Steve did achieve that and I'm sure he did a good job, but I think what Uber didn't want was the message that it was ever unstable or ever struggling or ever in any kind of strife in Australia. And just a question without notice on Steve. He's on the board of AADL slash ADMA. AADL does not exist anymore, remember? Right, We've okay. discussed this in a previous Mumbrella cast. It's owned by the Australian Computer Society now. Isn't that ADMA that doesn't? Yeah, so... No, ADMA exists. Right. AADL as its overarching holding company does not. Right, so it's all been wound. So Steve was a director of that. I believe he was on the board for ADMA. Yes. Uh, or, 
But uh, to be honest, I don't fully understand yet how the ADMA board will work now that it's a part of the Australian Computer Society. Uh, but he, he has been a, definitely associated with ADMA. But we don't know whether that association continues just yet. Not yet. Good attempt to answer that one. Um, also, some marketing changes at seven as well. Uh, Anna, uh, Anna Bachik uh, left the business, so she was head of network marketing, which arguably, I mean, you, you could make the argument that that sort of role or a similar role at nine is one of the bigger or possibly the biggest marketing role in the country if you measure it by sheer messages, because every night there are, you know, a huge or every day there are a huge number of promos. So if you sort of count each promo as a marketing message, then that's a really big job. So uh, Charlotte Valente, do I pronounce that correctly, Viv? I am no pronunciation expert, Tim, but will say you're correct. Uh, anyway, Charlotte has been named the new CMO uh, under new CEO, James Wolverton. They have worked together before. Yes. So Charlotte uh, was in trade marketing at APN Outdoor during uh, James's time as CEO there. So they definitely have crossed paths and, and worked together before. Uh, it's interesting because people have been looking at who James is going to appoint next and there's been lots of speculation warranted or otherwise that he's going to be bringing in people that he knows, bringing in people that he trusts and bringing in people that he's worked with before. So in that sense, it's not a hugely surprising appointment. If James believes that Charlotte did a really good job at APN Outdoor, he's going to want someone like that by his side when he's got such a mammoth task in front of him at seven. But Speaking of mammoth tasks, you know, seven is huge compared to what APN Outdoor was before it was folded into JC Deco. You know, not only all those stuff that you're talking about with its promos for its programs, seven is in and of itself a huge brand, particularly as they want to move away from being seen as just a television company and they want to do a lot of the hard yards that nine has done in positioning itself as an overarching content company or an entertainment company. That is a very, very big branding proposition, a huge marketing task, and not something that's going to come very easily given the struggles that Seven's had. So she, along with James, has a really big job in front of her, and I guess that's why he's appointed someone who he already knows. And question on that, because, you know, my first thought almost is, surely it feels like the egalitarian thing to do is to go out and do a global search for the, you know, the the best possibly qualified candidate in the market as opposed to go with someone that you hired before but then I was I was thinking about my own experience as an editor and at least twice when I've come in as a new editor somewhere I've brought over a couple of people with me that I know and trust because sometimes you've got to hit the road the, the hit things running you need a couple of people that you know how you work with how do you feel about James bringing in? To be fair to James, do you know that he didn't conduct a search for the CMO? Well, it was very quick if so, wasn't it? <laughs> well, maybe he works very quickly. Um, look, I don't actually have a problem with it as, as long as a person is qualified. Uh, I, I brought Hannah in here having worked with her before, uh, but then hired Brittany and, and Zoe not knowing them, you know, doing an interview and, and search process. So I don't think there's any issue with it as long as the person isn't sort of being elevated above their capability or or anything like that and and I don't think we can make that judgment yet we'll have to see what Charlotte does in the role before we can pass judgment on whether you know this is a terrible mate's appointment or or someone who genuinely deserves it and just happens to have proved herself to James previously next 
Stupid Things in Journalism. So, NW, which is Bauer Media's weekly tabloid mag, has brought back claims the editor by popular demand a sealed section called Wang Watch, which features naked, some censored, some not, pictures of uh, various uh, male celebrities, including My Kitchen Rules host Pete Evans, French actor Gérard Depardieu, and uh, Prince Philip, the famous royal person. Um, according to uh, editor Sebastian van der Zwan, he's giving the readers what uh, what he wants. Um, what they want. <laughs> good point, yes. He's <laughs> giving the a... readers what he has demanded. <laughs> you, you make a good point. There may have been a Freudian slip there, I suspect. Um, no, Viv, yeah, I, I think if we had to name someone chief reporter for Wang Watch, then, then, then it was you. Um, and it's kind of like it's funny, but it's also profoundly shitty. Gosh, I've had many titles and descriptions levied at me before, but Chief Wang Reporter is definitely a new one and and I feel like it's one that's going to stick. So thank you all for that. Look, it is a bizarre proposition to me to have a sealed section in a magazine anyway in 2019, regardless of its content, in that, you know, looking at these full frontal pictures of the male celebrities, uh, my first thought was, haven't these people heard of the internet? Like, if you want porn, as in soft porn or hardcore porn or naked, unauthorized images, that's all over the internet. You don't need to spend $5.30 buying NW magazine and ripping it open to, ha- to have a look at these people. So that's, that's bizarre. And it just, it feels really crass. You know, these are images taken without permission. I suspect it's probably in breach of the Australian Press Council's uh, principle which says that you're meant to avoid intruding on a person's reasonable expectation to privacy unless it's in the public interest. Now, an image up the legs of Prince Philip while he's wearing a kilt sitting down is not in the public interest and I think he could reasonably expect that people wouldn't be sticking a camera up there. So it's I think it's poor form in general, but I just also feel like it's unnecessary in the printed press in 2019 when things like you could wang watch in so many other places on the internet. I think it's also quite gross in 2019 to be publishing naked photos of anybody. I think if what's unfair here is if this had been done to women, which it wouldn't have, but if it had been done to women, there would be complete and utter uproar about it. But because it's been done to men, (laughs) the NW can sit there and say, oh, it's what the reader demands. Either way, it's still, you're still publishing naked photos of somebody without their permission, which in 2019, we should definitely know better than that. Now, Viv, you did ask Pete Evans what he thought. I did. I also tried to reach Buckingham Palace to find out what they think. And look, I'm sure they've got other things on their agenda, but the royals do feel like they're increasing their war with the media and and sort of more publicly upping their expectations of of what the media does for them, with them and, and about them. 
Unfortunately, I'm, I'm yet to hear back from from the royals. That'll just be the time difference. <laughs> yeah. They'll get back to you. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Uh, but look, I also contacted Pete Evans because I found the depiction of Pete quite interesting in that so many other men in this were subjected to full frontal nudity, you know, where even shown photos of Prince Philip's genitals. But for whatever reason, Pete Evans got the eggplant emoji treatment. Is it because he's paleo? Well, I mean, I did, I did wonder that, whether it was a paleo reference, but it's not. It's clearly protecting... Pete, and maybe that's because NW thinks he might be more likely to launch legal action because he's he's local. But I contacted Pete to, to see how he felt about his images being used without permission, and uh, whether he would be complaining to the press council, and whether he thinks it's in the public interest. And he wrote back to me and he said, I'm very comfortable with my own nudity. I spend a huge part of my life naked, which Pete I mean, you're missing the point a little bit. I wasn't asking how you feel about your body. I was asking how you feel about your body being exploited for profit without your permission. Um, but he did then note, obviously, it would have been polite of them to have asked if they could take my photo in the first place and in the future. So it doesn't sound like he'll be launching legal action. He signed it off with a, a peace sign emoji. So I think he's feeling uh, very chilled. It sounds, though, like he has more of an issue with the photos being taken than the photos being published because correct me if I'm wrong it felt like the NW team have been like on the hunt for appropriate pictures to use so they're not the ones that have taken the photos is that right well the photo of Prince Philip I believe is from 2012 so yeah they're not even really recent photos. And the one of Orlando Bloom paddleboarding, oh, I can't place it directly in timelines, but that was that's old. Yeah. That's been around for so ages. So it's almost like they're curating a selection that they've gone out and looked for. Surely that's even sort of more premeditated and more of an issue well, just think, somebody sat in the office and did research for that. Totally. I mean, the photos being taken is one thing, but nobody sees them unless those photos are published or leaked. or And so that, to me, seems strange that Pete is like, well, it would have been nice for them to ask if they could take my photo, but now that the photo is taken, it's it's going to be out there, it's going to be in a publication. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not cool with this one like you guys, I, <laughs> well, obviously. Well, <laughs> speaking of perhaps not particularly high points in journalism... It feels like we, we we have to at least give a nod towards the uh, the the Sydney Sydney's Daily Telegraph's uh, take on the Extinction Rebellion uh, march this week. Um, Viv, how did uh, how did the telly cover this story? Uh, look, this was one of the more bizarre articles I've read. So on Wednesday, the 9th of October. They had a splash on their front page, the great bee sting, where their reporter dressed up as a, a bee and joined the extinction rebellion protesters in a bid to see what really goes on, you know, if you're one of them and what and undercover so, journalism yeah, to find us. But I read it and nothing has been uncovered. It just felt like an excuse for Mitchell and the Daily Telegraph to work in as many ridiculous bee related puns as they could. I learnt nothing from this article. Go on, give me some samples of some of the puns. You know, he happened to see somebody drinking a plastic water bottle and therefore decided that the whole protest was pointless. But goodness me, I counted and there were 38 bee puns in this quite light article. Which was your favourite? The Bee Gees was a stretch. Yeah, the Bee Gees was a real stretch. Yeah, they... uh, So, look, there was lots of mentions of the hive, police swarming in, 
buzzing for change. Uh, I, I didn't have a favourite because I don't I think... I think Paul and My Leg was in yes, there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Paul and My Leg was in there. So it just felt like an excuse to have some photos of a reporter dressed up as a bee and, and throw some shade on on this protest without actually shining any light on on the issues of either side. So let me ask a hypothetical question, though. You know, it's a populist newspaper. Mm-hmm. How do you tell an accessible story about a climate change march? I think this story could have worked. I think having a guy dress up as a bee and and be one with the protesters is a perfectly legitimate idea because he's going to get a better insight of what the people are thinking and what it's like to be in amongst them facing the police than he would if he went up with a recorder and a notepad and said, hi, I'm from the Telegraph, can you can you tell me what's going on? So I think that's that's perfectly valid, but I don't think he sort of explained much about what these people are protesting, uh, why there's been police resistance to this, why there's been backlash on on both sides and and what even bees have to do with it. I just don't think it was explained properly because it got so lost in trying to be funny and trying to use bee puns and just bring in anything it could, as Brittany alluded to, the bee gees and and whatnot, that you don't learn anything, you don't really have any fun because you're sort of so stilted by all the B references. If, you know, Studio 10 has proved anything in the past couple of weeks, it's that it can get headlines and be controversial and tackle issues such as this. Um, and look, people don't agree with the controversial comments that Kerry Ann Kennelly has been saying about the climate change protesters, but even she managed to make this issue a bit more accessible, even if she did it in an inflammatory way. And look, and I wonder, maybe in, in defence of the journal, I suspect what probably happens is the call goes round in the newsroom, okay, who's willing to get into a bee costume? <laughs> and the people who are probably amongst the cadet journalist side of things. So I, I suspect it's somebody who is relatively inexperienced who's being asked to do that, which you you then really want the people within the, the editing editorial chain of command to be the ones who sort of take responsibility for making sure that um, a good piece comes out at the other end. I've just Googled him and Kyle Sanderlands has praised it. So, I mean, what more could you want, really? (laughs) (laughs) Say no more. Next, Viv will be chatting to Bachelorette Angie Kent. this year's bachelorette angie kent angie welcome to the umbrella cast thanks for having me now listen you've really risen to prominence via the medium of television so you started out on goggle box which mm-hmm. was a joint venture between foxtel and 10 then you tried your hand at i'm a celebrity get me out of here on 10 yep. and now you're on the bachelorette on 10 do you have plans for a bigger media career after this as well it's one of those things that after watching something like Upfronts as well, you you see how many beautiful shows 10 have done and how passionate they are. But I never go in, you know, thinking I want this, I want this, I want this. It's all being kind of presented to me by the universe slash Channel 10. And <laughs> Channel that, 10 is the universe. <laughs> Channel 10 is the universe. And I feel like if they – I would love to stay with – I've been with them for five years now. I feel very safe with them. I love what they make and, I, you know, I would love to stay involved. But it's one of those things that I don't – I don't really hustle and I don't beg. I'm just like whatever will be, will be. When you started out on Gogglebox all those years ago, 
did you dare to dream that something like this could happen for you or were you just rolling with the punches? Never, ever. Um, Evie and I originally, well, we were asked to do Gogglebox and we auditioned and we thought, you know, let's give it a red hot go. Uh, we thought it didn't sound great and it just blew up like everybody else. And we did it to promote Adopt Oat Shop originally and we're like, if one dog gets rescued, then like West Oats, that's our job done. Then the show just blew up. And then we often thought, you know, we could do a cheeky podcast together because people loved our chemistry. But other than that, we didn't think big picture. We were like, let's just do little videos for Instagram. Let's just do a little podcast. Um, I never thought that then we'd go onto the jungle than being the – especially being the Bachelorette. <laughs> That's wild. So Evie Jones, who you've mentioned, who you have were on Gogglebox with, she's built quite a media career herself as yeah. well. Uh Filling in for Fifi Box on Fifi Feven Byron on Fox FM down in Melbourne, stints on Studio 10. Would you ever do something in media again with Evie or do you feel like that was sort of the goggle box and jungle era and now you're going to do a Hamish and Andy and spend some time <laughs> apart? Split up. <laughs> Evie and I are like sisters and there's I'm always open to doing work with her. We, yeah, that's not out of the picture for me. I think it's been good for us to have our time to do our own stuff because, I don't know, it's just obviously been so great for both of us. But, no, I've never write that off at all. We always talk about stuff we'd love to do together. That's how we started and people loved watching us. So I think we could come back together and do something. I don't know what. And do you still watch Gogglebox? I do when I can. It's been quite a hectic year with the Jungle and Bachelorette. I've been in lockdown twice, so I don't get to watch a lot of TV. But when I when I get to, I catch up on Gogglebox. They're my family still. I'm still very close with a lot of them. So it's just a show that it's a gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? Yeah, it's still really popular, which is surprising for a show that's been running for that long. For so long. But one criticism that has been levied at it is that when you guys started, you had no idea what you were in for. As you said, even you were like, what? Is this going to work? I just want to save some dogs. But now they're all so media savvy. Mm. Is it hard, and for you on The Bachelorette as well, to be yourself when you know so much about what makes great television? I think because Gogglebox started us in the sense that we got casted because we are who we are and they were like don't change be ruthless be you know gutter mouth just be yourselves <laughs> be passionate be vulnerable and we were like wow a platform where you you're not told what to do is so amazing and from that then that's allowed me to keep being myself no one's ever said to me can you not do that? And I know I can do some very questionable things, but it's like everybody can. I just do it on television and people are like, oh, thank God, other people do it. So I've never felt, even on Bachelorette, at the beginning I was a little bit like I need to be like a, maybe a PG version of myself because I might intimidate the dudes. But I, I I looked at watch last night and I wasn't. I was full throttle Angie and I was like, oh, way to be PG. <laughs> so you used to watch The Bachelorette and we would watch you watching The Bachelorette. Now you're on The Bachelorette and Goggleboxes are going to watch you. I know. Are you going to watch them watch you on The Bachelorette? Are you going to go full circle and full inception? I think I will because I love them so much, the Gogglebox's, and because they're my family. I, I, You know, you always want to know what your family says and think. 
Um, I've received so many beautiful messages from them saying they're so excited. So, of course, I think I, I want to watch it and hopefully they're kind to me because I know I've said a few things that I was like, you know, it's all tongue-in-cheek but can can get a little ruthless when it comes to these dating shows. So hopefully they're kind to me. <laughs> Love me. <laughs> and speaking of ruthless, have you been keeping an eye on – social media throughout and will you be keeping an eye on on social media commentary throughout your stint on the bachelorette or would you prefer to stay away from any any of that not that it's always negative but we all know that it can be it can be um i think when i'm not i hate the word normal but when i'm normal angie not that i'm a normal human i would i don't read anything i only focus on my friends my family what's on my uh, instagram facebook which is support and love. Um, but, you know, when you have your down days, it almost feeds your anger bodies and you do look for it. Uh, I hope I don't because it's coming with this franchise, obviously. People are very passionate about it and they have a lot of opinions, which I love. I can't pick on that. That's what I started off doing, watching <laughs> people watch me watch TV. But everybody has to remember that at the end of the day, we're all humans and the majority of us are there. Well, me especially, I wanted to fall in love and it's a show about love. Just embrace, you know. We're not we're not doing anything hardcore. We just want to fall in love, you know. So it can get hard and you, you do read into stuff a bit, but I haven't yet, not too much. And you're a, <laughs> you're a TV viewing expert. Was there anything from the – production side that really surprised you on The Bachelorette in terms of being on the other side, you know, being in the screen rather than watching the screen? Um, Yes, way more. What people see compared to what people experience on that show, I wish everybody could just spend a day in the shoes of, well, anybody really, but talking about television, of a Bachelor, Bachelorette or one of the people, you know, I don't know what you call them, wanting to – what do you call them? People, the boys and the girls. Well, contestants sounds like I'm on a game show. <laughs> the Bachelors. Until you're in either of our shoes, it's it's actually quite different and hard to to judge because we go through a lot. Our hearts on the line. Dating in the real world is hardcore. So yeah, it's very different. And I do wish I could go back in time and be like, you be nicer to them. <laughs> they go through a lot. They're putting their heart on the line for love. And that's hard for, you know, regular dating. So, hmm. And we're speaking to you immediately after Ten's Upfronts presentation where they've yes. revealed what they're going to be doing in 2020. And the day was hosted by Osha Ginsberg, who's become somewhat of a Channel 10 darling, but also a media darling. Yes. And it was funny to be reminded that before, you know, Australian Idol, he was – well, before The Bachelor, he was unemployed. And mm. now he's, you know, got the Masked Singer, he's got The Bachelor. He's, he's everywhere. Got, he's got everything. What was it like to work with him? Oh, to put Osher in words is just, it's too hard. I thought, I knew he, I heard he was a beautiful man, but I thought, you know, he'd walk in, walk out very much like, hi, hi, Angie, yeah, good, 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 yeah, see you later. But he's so caring and generous and really cares about who's there for both me and the boys. You know, I thought, you know, he got, when I was standing up, he'd get me a chair or he'd get me a coat. And I'm like, no, Osha, I'll, I'll get something for you. Why are you doing it? It's just me. <laughs> I watched you on television for four years. You know what I mean? So 
He's just so great. And even now, post-show, he checks in. He gives the best advice. He's just such a beautiful human. And I'm without him, I think the show, the people would feel really, really lost because he's just such – well, he's he is the Bachelor Bachelorette. Imagine not having Osha. It would be weird. It would certainly be a challenge for Channel 10 at the moment. No to one have could no replace Osha <laughs> ever on the Bachelor franchise or – anything. <laughs> and so you've seen the presentations today, other than w- wanting to see how your series plays out, were there any programs that you were really excited about? Oh my gosh, those ads. Channel 10 know how to do ads. I was just saying that to the 10 publicity team that I'm a sucker for a hype reel. Oh so, my God. I mean, I'm a very favourable audience in that you put a good tune behind something and I'm on board. But mm. particularly Channel 10, as I was walking out, I was saying that to people and they were like, yeah, but nobody does a hype reel like Not 10. like 10. <laughs> and the music and the like the dun-dun and the lighting and the angles. They're just – it's amazing. Um Gosh, there's so many. Obviously, I'm obsessed with Masked Singer, but for looking forward to what's coming up next year is um, Survivor. Looks so intense. And Dancing with the Stars, I love. I love them all. Maybe that could be your next show, Dancing with the Stars. Some people have said that, but I feel like people might need a little break from (laughs) old Angie doing a bit of reality. They'll be like, sit back for a bit, girl. But I would definitely, that's the only other thing I could do because I can't cook, can't sing can't what's the other one I can't do anything else I didn't turn around to check whether you were still in the audience when the wolf was on stage at the 10 up fronts but I you're saying you can't sing so it's definitely not you it's behind not any of me, those masks but I'm also a very very good not liar I don't want to say that it sounds <laughs> bad I've had to keep a lot of secrets so you know could be me so you, you've said you might have to take a back seat before you do Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. What is next for you, though, when this series wraps up beyond the big uh, publicity oh. tour? I, I haven't thought about it. This show is just so – you put your everything into it so you kind of only have time to focus on that. Um, yeah, I've I just want to get through this and – then see what happens. I mean, obviously, I feel like 10 is home for me, um, so I'd love to stay with 10. But if not, then I go back to my rescue dogs and support work and my man and I'll be sorted. So we'll just see. Oh, your man. See, there's been speculation in the office already that you're going to do a honey badger. People are already no. putting bets on on what's going to go on. Everybody, so. A lot of people have said that. No, I, I, I'm very happy and I have I have picked someone at the end. So there's no speculation there. <laughs> I'm, I am allowed to say that. So that's, yeah. Yeah, I haven't really thought much past getting through this and then just, you know, giving a relationship a shot for a change. And if more stuff comes from 10, then I'd just be even more blessed. And just one final question. Do you worry yourself with the ratings? I mean, the show obviously did well on premiere. It's up year on year and it topped all the key advertising demographics that, you know, advertisers, brands and marketers care about. But will you be watching those numbers fluctuate? Will you be craving for a certain number at your big ending? I I think because I've got a background in film television as well behind the scenes uh, and being on Gogglebox, we always found out about ratings because we watch all the shows. I do know a lot about ratings and want to know, but I'm not going to let that affect 
how I felt during the whole thing and what I got out of it. But yeah, it is nice to know if it's doing well. I just want people to watch and just love and feel the feels like I did because I certainly threw myself in there and so did all the boys and it deserves to be watched and it deserves to be, you know, something that people just just take take it in. No hate, just love. It's a show about love. Enjoy it. Embrace it. Well, on that positive note, Angie mm-hmm. Kent from The Bachelorette, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And that's all for this week. Don't forget to give us a rating on the App Store. Thanks, Viv. Thank you. Thanks, Hannah. Thank you. Thanks, Brittany. Bye. Take a look.